0: Thank you for checking out this video. My name is Lindsay, and I'm so excited that you're here for this message from Redemption Church. If you have a Bible, open it up to James chapter 1, this morning. We're going to kick off a brand new series today. It doesn't really have a name other than we're going to be studying the book of James. And so uh, go ahead and turn there in your Bible or scroll there on your computer or on your phone, and uh, we're going to walk through this book of the Bible together over these next weeks. The book of James was written by, you guessed it, James. And uh, the point of the letter was to encourage Christians in the midst of great difficulty. And so James, who's the brother of Jesus. Uh, four brothers of Jesus are listed in the scriptures. Most people think that James is the oldest. He was a prominent voice in the early church, uh, in part probably because he was Jesus' brother, uh, but also because he was a servant of Jesus. That's how he starts off his letter. He says, James, a servant of Jesus. And so here's a guy who watched his brother die resurrect. And then James committed his life to serving his brother's mission, which was the advancement of the good news, the happy news that Jesus had come to rescue us from our sins. And so James writes this letter in the midst of a time where Christians were being persecuted Uh, fed to wild animals, burned uh, at the stake, crucified like Jesus was. Uh, Persecution was at uh, um, an incredible high at the point that James writes this letter. Like us today, scattered abroad, James writes to the 12 tribes who are dispersed. They're all over, and he wanted to get the letter out to them to encourage them in the midst of the trouble that they were facing. So this morning, believing that the scriptures are as relevant today as the day they were written. We're gonna look in and see what James has to say to us on how we handle troubled times. What's the Christian response? And where does the strength come to live the way that James writes us to live, tells us how to live? So here we are, we're now in verse two. I kind of covered verse one there for you. James chapter one, verse two, it says this count it all joy, count it all joy. The first thing we're gonna see in this text is the Christian response to trouble. Before we even know what the trouble is, James is gonna go and describe the various kinds of troubles that we might face, but we're told the answer to the question before the question is even asked. You remember when you were a kid and you'd go up to your parents and you'd say, hey, I have a question, and your parents would say, the answer is no. And you would say, I didn't even ask my question yet. And they would say, I know. The answer is no. We're given our response to trouble and difficulty even before we know what trouble or difficulty we might face. The answer or the response is joy. James says, count it all or consider it all. Reckon it all. Determine in advance before you even walk through the trouble that you're going to choose, Chara, joy. You're going to choose joy. One translation says it this. Consider it a great opportunity for joy whenever you face these types of troubles. The Christian knows their response to trouble before they even get into it. Joy. Joy. Does this mean that we don't know sorrow? Of course not. When Jesus's good friend died, Jesus both was sorrowful and celebratory. And you say, that's paradoxical. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Christianity. (laughs) The gospel is a paradox. And Christians can both have sorrow, sympathy, empathy, and joy at the same time. And so the Christian response to trouble is, were I am going to choose joy? I'm going to look at this opportunity, uh, this trouble, as a time in my life to choose joy. Now, where does this joy come from? What is this joy? Well, the Christian has two places uh, or two reasons for joy. The first is this. We have a salvation that is secure in Christ, The Christian looks out at the world and looks in in themselves and sees the biggest problem of the human heart is sin. And the biggest problem in the world is sin. But Jesus took care of sin on the cross once and for all. And so because of that now, when I believe in Christ, I receive salvation as a gift from God, not because of my good works that earn it. And now I have a salvation that cannot be taken. I have a love from God that nothing can separate me from. And that is a reason for joy. Many of the parables uh, in Matthew chapter 13 talk about how people were willing uh, to pay whatever price, whatever cost to receive this gospel because of the joy, the happiness that it produces Does it mean that we're not affected by the circumstances of our life? No, of course we are, we're humans. But underneath that, there's a joy in my salvation that cannot be taken. That's the first reason Christians have joy. The second reason Christians have joy, and may we remember this now and always, that there is an eternity awaiting us, an eternity in heaven when the new heaven and the new earth come together at the final culmination of time where we will celebrate and feast with Jesus forever. Well, we will be a part of the redeemed earth, those of us who are in Jesus. And so the Christian can look through the difficulty, can look through the trial, however small, however big, however long, however short, and see on the other side, there is an eternity awaiting me. Christian, there's an eternity awaiting you. Most of the biblical authors, particularly in the New Testament, tell us that this thought on eternity is one of the things that both anchors and inspires and encourages the Christian that no matter what's going on out there, with an eye out on eternity, I can have joy in my present circumstance. I have joy because of my secure salvation in Christ, and I have joy because of that which awaits me in eternity. Let me say it another way. Because I know what happens at the end, I can have joy in the present. Because I know in the end I'm with Jesus forever, I can have joy right now. And so my response to all trial, all trouble, all times of difficulty is I'm choosing joy. I'm choosing joy in Jesus. Count it all joy, James says, my brothers. Now, I think it's great that the actual brother of Jesus refers to the other followers of his brother, Jesus, as his brother's. We use this term all throughout the New Testament, but I think it has particular importance when you consider the source. James is the literal brother of Jesus, and now he's looking at all of the other Christians and he's calling them his brothers. It's as if he's saying, come join the family. Come be a part of my family. Now, there are certain families that we would describe, right? We would say, oh, that family, they're all tall. That family, they're all short. That's my family. Uh, That family, they're all good looking, or they're all this, or they're all loud. They're all whatever. Maybe that's your family. James is saying, let me know, or let me tell you how you know you're a part of this family, how you're a part of my older brother, Jesus's family. See, he started a family. I was a part of his actual family, but now I'm in his spiritual family. And now I want you all to be a part of our spiritual family. But let me tell you how you know you're part of the spiritual family. When other people look into our family, this is what they're going to say. Oh, those Christians, those people in Jesus's family, they all choose joy, Somehow they have joy in the midst of trial. Somehow they have joy in the midst of difficulty. They're so overcome by the love of their older brother, Jesus. They're so committed to this idea of an eternal time with Jesus that no matter what's going on out in the world, back then, today, they still choose joy. Our family, this family, will be defined as people who choose joy in the midst of trial not a shallow joy, not that kind of fake Christian answer that says, oh, I'm blessed, or oh, I'm good, or oh, I'm this, but has no connection to the real hurt and uh, um, deep sadness that some people are experiencing. No, a type of joy that is constant, but is yet also deeply emotionally connected to people's hurt and pain, but brings a real solution, the solution of the gospel and God's love. And so our family, Jesus' family, we will be marked by joy in the midst of the trial. James says, consider it a great opportunity. Choose joy. That's what it looks like to be in this family. What's my response? What's our response? Joy. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials I love the phrasing of this. It's like personifying trial. So let's call him Mr. Trial, right? Or Mrs. Trial. Today, I'm just going to use the male. We're going to call him Mr. Trial. He says, when you meet Mr. Trial, and so this personification of trial is, you're going to meet Mr. Trial. You're not going to shake his hand, of course, right now. You're going to fist bump him. And when you meet Mr. Trial, you're telling Mr. Trial your response to his presence in your life right when you meet him. And so you meet Mr. Trial and you're saying, Mr. Trial, here's what I know. I know that Mr. Trial, your presence in my life is to attempt to get me to stop believing in God. Your presence in my life is to get me to move into despair or depression or to feel like I've been forgotten or like no one cares about me, no one loves me. Your presence in my life, Mr. Trial, is to make me think that God doesn't remember me or that he doesn't fulfill his promises or that he's not as powerful as he says that he is. But Mr. Trial, let me tell you right here at the very beginning of our relationship, before we go any further, whatever you say, whatever you do, however much you Ramp this trial up. I'm going to tell you what my response is to your presence in my life. I'm choosing joy. Mr. Trial, whatever it is that happens from here on out in the nature of our relationship, my response is staying the same. I'm choosing joy. See, Mr. Trial shows up and he wants you to think that God isn't as powerful as he says he is, that God has forgotten about you, that God isn't going to fulfill his promises that God doesn't love you, that you should have fear over faith. But when you meet him, when you meet Mr. Trial, your response is I'm choosing joy. So let's just define the relationship right up front. Choosing joy. And so you, you meet Mr. Trial. Mr. Trial, it says of various kinds, of various kinds. There's all sorts of trials that we face. And trials uh, come into our lives for, for all sorts of different reasons. But let me give you uh, four, four different reasons why trials tend to come up in our lives. Uh, the first one is simply because of unwise decisions. Like Sometimes we face difficulty because of unwise decisions that we've made. And so now we're in a trial. The trial isn't anyone's fault, or at least it's not God's fault, uh, but we're in it now. Now, how does the Christian respond to uh, a trial that comes up from an unwise decision? Well, of course, first we're going to choose joy, but the second thing we might want to do is ask, well, should I do something differently next time? Should I act differently next time? Would, Would the absence of this unwise decision maybe alleviate the trial? That's a good response, but then even in that, I'm going to choose joy. So unwise, that's one type of trial. Another type of trial we face sometimes are because of unhealthy people in our lives. Sometimes unhealthy people produce trials in our lives. And here's what the Christian should ask. Should this unhealthy person continue to have this much power over my life? Let me take a second uh, and talk about this for a second. Um, There seems to be this idea right now, uh, and I see it in Christianity a lot, and it's kind of sad uh, that I have to eliminate or remove any unhealthy person from my life. There are certain unhealthy people that you can remove f- from your life. You might be dating an unhealthy person. Bye, Felicia. Like, it's time to get rid of that. You don't need that in your life. But there's other people that are unhealthy that we don't just get to dismiss because you're in their life for a reason, And I get boundaries and all of the language around boundaries, but there are certain times and certain relationships where I don't just get to dismiss you because you're unhealthy. No, if you're my child, if you're my spouse, if you're my fill-in-the-blank, I'm going to work through not just dismiss and ignore. The Christian still chooses joy in the midst of that trial. Another reason trials happen is because of undignified behavior, unsanctified behavior, sin. Sin. Ask David. Some of David's biggest trials that he faced were because of sin. King David, that is. Not your friend David, who you're looking at right now. King David. Some of the biggest trials he faced was because of sin in his life. And so what does the Christian do in the midst of a trial that's due to sin? Well, read Psalm 34. Read Psalm 51. The Christian confesses and repents. Now, if you're already a Christian, you're not confessing so that you might be saved. You're confessing so that you might be free. You're repenting, and you're going to the Lord, and you're laying your sin out in front of him. And it's amazing how um, repentance leads to joy. And you're still going to choose joy, but some of that joy is going to come when you repent, when you confess before your loving king. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be afraid. He already showed how much he loved you on the cross. Just repent, confess, confess then walk through the trial. Just because you repent and confess doesn't mean that there's not going to be a trial. There's still practical um, implications to our sin at times, um, but we might as well start with confessing and repenting and, and lifting the spiritual burden that's upon us in that. Another reason or another type of trial uh, that often will hit us are then, and, and this is the one that we're facing right now, um, unwarranted or unmerited trials Things that just happen to us or that just happened in the world and we don't deserve them. Uh, there's nothing we did. Uh it they're they're just happening. And what does the Christian do? They choose joy, but then they ask this question: Do I trust God in the midst of this? Do I trust God in the midst of this? I don't deserve this. It shouldn't have happened. Uh it's not like I, I messed up, I wasn't unwise, I didn't commit in sin. Uh it's just here and it's present. Do I trust God in the midst of this. Now, for whatever reason, Mr. Trial shows up, any one of those four, we know what our response is going to be. It's I'm choosing joy in the midst of this. Joy because of my secure salvation. Joy because of the eternity that I have on the other side of this trial. But what's the what's the reason for the trial? And isn't that the question we often ask? Why? Why is this happening? What's the reason? Now, there might be some secondary reasons, but there's also a primary reason for those of us who are in Christ, a primary reason for the trial. And here's what it is. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Another word there is patience. Another word is endurance. What's the reason? It's to increase. What's the reason? To increase your patience. To increase your endurance. Let me say it this way. To increase your Christian grit to increase your, your unwavering faith. See, what this is uh, implying here is that there's a certain level of spiritual maturity that only comes when we show patience, when we show unwavering faith in the midst of a trial, that there's a Christian maturity that we can um, uh, achieve, for lack of a better term, that we arrive at when we have endurance. I used to coach junior high track. And in junior high track, the worst event was the 400. And the best 400 runners were those who were great sprinters, but had a little bit of endurance. If they didn't have any endurance, then by the time they made the second curve, they were done. But if they had just a little bit of endurance and they were a great sprinter, then they were the best 400 runners, at least in junior high. They had to have some endurance to be the best. Christian, we need endurance to best live this Christian faith. We need some Christian grit. This term was often used to describe military people who no matter what they were facing, they did not abandon their post. No matter what enemy came against them, they stood and they held their ground. Christian grit is saying, no matter what that trial is, no matter what that trouble is, I'm going to choose joy and I'm also not moving from my faith. I'm not running, I'm not abandoning, I'm not jumping ship, I'm not gonna medicate with sin. I'm going to stay planted in Christ. Why? Why is the trial here? What's the reason for it? To produce endurance in the Christian. To what result? To what result? And let steadfastness have its full effect. How does steadfastness not have its full effect? When we cut out too soon, uh, when we choose to medicate the trial with sin, um, when we allow doubt to begin to um, uh, to be more present in our life than our deep belief and faith in God, when when fear rules our mind instead of faith, but it says let it have its full effect. In other words, don't abandon the ship. Hold on to Jesus. And let that fastness have its full effect. Here's the result. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me summarize that. That you might look more like Jesus. There's a response to trial. I'm choosing joy. There's a reason for it. It's producing endurance inside of me. There's a result to it that I might look more like Jesus. And so I'm not running, Uh, I'm not leaving my faith in this time. I'm gonna persevere through it. I'm gonna keep my eye on eternity. I'm gonna get through this and I'm gonna look more like Jesus on the other end, on the other side of it. Now you might be asking, but, but where's the strength to do that? I mean, what's the resource to help me stand strong? Because I am afraid, because my faith is wavering, because I'm not sure. What this looks like? What's the resource? What's the resource? Well, I want to give you a resource this morning. I want to give you an unlimited resource this morning. In my Bible, just have to flip one page to the left. You arrive at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us the resource to choose joy, to see the reason, and to experience the result. Hebrews 12 gives us the resource to do that. Look at this. And you're smart. So as I'm reading this, you're gonna see the connection between Hebrews chapter 12 and James chapter one. It says this, I'm gonna start in Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. There's that word perfect again, right? We saw it in the James passage. We see it here. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there's the joy. So Jesus had a joy that was laid out in front of him. Now this whole um, verse and the next few verses are describing the patience, the perseverance, the endurance, the steadfastness that Jesus showed on the night of his betrayal all the way up into the cross. And so it's going to use that word perfect, right? He was the perfect one. We're going to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James. And now it's saying that Jesus had joy. So where do we get this idea of joy in the midst of trial? Did we just make it up? No, we see it in Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured Uh, persevered, same word, endured, persevered, was steadfast, was patient. Jesus had the endurance. Jesus didn't abandon us in the midst of his trial. Jesus didn't run away. uh, Jesus didn't subvert the will of his father. Jesus submitted to the will of his father. Jesus, uh, he stayed the course, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And look at these next words. Consider him, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Was it easy? No, Jesus was in the greatest battle of all time, the greatest cosmic battle where he was gonna go to the cross and he was gonna take on all of the wrath of God and all of my sin and all of your sin upon himself. And he prayed in the garden and he's sweating blood, but he doesn't abandon ship. He endures all the way to the end, even when those he was saving were hostile against him. And he was choosing joy because he knew what was on The other side. And so he endured it all. And it says this it says this, it gives us the key right there at the beginning of verse three. Consider him. Consider him. What's the resource? To think about Jesus. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? Get these words so that you and I may not grow weary or faint hearted. In the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our difficulty. What do we do in the midst of our difficulty? We consider. Jesus. We think about Jesus. We look at Jesus. When we meet Mr. Trial and he comes in and he tries to make the trial bigger than Jesus, when he tries to get us more afraid than we have faith in Christ, what we're supposed to do is look right back at him and say, I'm choosing joy and I'm thinking about Jesus. And I know that things aren't going the way that I thought they were going to go. And I know that it's a little scary out there, but I'm choosing Jesus. I'm considering Jesus. I'm thinking about Jesus. Jesus. I'm worshiping Jesus I'm praying to Jesus I'm resourcing myself in Jesus I'm considering Jesus at all times I'm running back to the scriptures I'm bowing my head in prayer I'm being sourced in strength from Jesus I'm thinking about what he did on the cross I'm thinking about how he didn't abandon us in the garden I'm thinking about how he went to the cross and we were hostile against him and he faced the wrath of God but he didn't give up he persevered all the way to the end because there was a joy out in front of him I'm thinking about Jesus. What do we do right now? We consider Jesus. We think about Jesus. We look to Jesus. What happens after Jesus' trial? He's resurrected on the other side of it. What happens on the other side of our trial? There's a resurrection of sorts. We're new. We're different. We're closer to Jesus. More uh, in ways connected to his Holy Spirit. We've grown in wisdom. We reflect Jesus more. When the trouble comes, and the scripture tells us here, it will. We choose our response before we even know the trouble. I'm choosing joy. There's a reason for this. It's endurance. There's going to be a result. I'm going to be like Jesus, and I have a resource to get me through it, to think about to ponder, to meditate on, to dwell on the incredible love of my Savior, Jesus, who endured all things by going to the cross. Do you need strength? Do you need faith right now? Consider Jesus. Don't try to do this on your own. Don't try to muster your own grit. No Christian grit comes from considering Jesus, thinking about Jesus. And on the other side, I believe for all of us, there will be a resurrection of sorts. We'll be more refined, more like Christ, more loving like he was, more humble like he was. And the best way to consider Jesus is to do exactly what he told us to do, to take communion in our consideration of him. And so I hope you have your communion elements with you right out in front of you. Would you pull them out? I have a donut. It's the only bread-like thing in our office. I have some coffee. And uh, that's going to be my communion this morning. Uh, Jesus picked bread and wine for a lot of reasons, but in part because it's what they ate at every meal. Well, I eat donuts and drink coffee at every meal. So whatever you have will be fine this morning. We're going to take communion. Then the band's going to lead us in another song. And as we take communion this morning, as we... And as you're there, go ahead and break the bread or the Dorito or the whatever it is. And as we break the bread, we're reminded of Jesus's physical body broken for us. And so as we think about Jesus's physical body broken for us, let me just say this, that we believe that Jesus's death on the cross produces healing. And so we pray for those who are sick. We believe that Jesus's physical body represents a power that Jesus has in the physical world. And so um, we're going to pray for God's power over our physical world right now. We're going to pray for God's power for all of those who are serving people that are sick right now. We're going to pray for healing, and then we're going to um, thank God that his physical body was broken for us. So let's partake of the bread. Go ahead where you're at. I have coffee. I don't know what you have. Some of you, you probably have wine. And uh, we're going to partake of this. And this represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And the shedding of the blood of Jesus reminds us that he covered us, covered our sins once and for all on the cross, that we now have a spiritual salvation that when we believe in Christ cannot be taken. And so we drink the coffee, or the juice, whatever it might be for you, as a representation of Christ's blood shed for us, bringing spiritual healing. And we pray for all those around the world right now that they would be open to the gospel of Christ's love for them. And as you drink, remember Christ's love for you. Right now, my prayer for you, friend, is that you would choose joy in the midst of all trouble, that you would see the reason behind it and that you would be resourced deeply by Christ, considering what he did for you, thinking about what he did for you on the cross. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing one last song together. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, whose deep love for us, can give us joy regardless of the trouble that we might face. We also thank you, Jesus, that you knew sorrow, that you knew tragedy, that you knew how to connect with people in that, and that you connect with us in fear. You connect with us when we're scared. You connect with us when we're hurting, and we sense your love and you give us a joy underneath all of it. And I pray that for each and every one of my friends this morning. Thank you for inviting us into your family and for resourcing us with the strength to walk through every trial. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like more information on our church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com.